everyone and welcome back to the second episode of my podcast which is called and stuff like that i thought about the name yesterday and i i i hope you guys like it now today i decided to talk about literary translation which is a translation uh, of literature basically um first of all i want to tell you what translation is I know you guys know what translation is, but I want to uh, give you a definition so as uh, to start with the um, with the topic, right? So, what is the literary translation? Basically, is the reproduction of a text from a specific linguistic code that is from a specific um, language to another using equivalents, right? These equivalents have to be exact. Okay, now we're going to be more specific and we're going to talk about the literature. I mean, uh, the literary translation, right? So the equivalents have to be exact in the sense that they have to communicate the style and they have to transmit the emotions or feelings that the author wanted to transmit. And the author wants to transmit, in the case of literature, um a more poetic style with an aesthetic style uh sorry aesthetic style and this is what differences this translation from the others the scientific uh translation or the technical translation that are more systematic right now a good literary translator has to bear in mind many factors when it comes to translating and based on that uh, they have to make many decisions in each page to translate um, and they have to support themselves with tools to help them be more organized and before starting to translate we have to ask ourselves some questions like who's the client um, where my translation comes from and where does it go and based on the answers of that quest of those questions then we can locate ourselves in a certain position towards the translation that we're going to do now a particular aspect um, that literally translation has is that the author of the original may have an artistic quality or artistic ambitions that a translation uh, sorry a translator has to transmit and to recreate when uh, they uh, translate that uh, text. Um, there is also a conflict between the original and, a tra and the translated version sometimes. Um, well, in many cases, that is why uh, the literary translation is a bit is a bit complex. I wouldn't say complicated or difficult or hard, but I would say it's complex and you have to be very prepared and you have to um, be an author to become an author. That is why it's a bit, it's a bit complex, right? So, um, basically like any text in the world, literary translation needs to be faithful to the author, but the literary quality of the book determines the degree of the loyalty or the fidelity, if you want to call it that way, and it can be questioned almost completely. Why am I saying this? Because if an author is not too concerned about the artistic side of their work, which is almost everything in literature, because literature is art, 
um, then uh, they doesn't deserve a translation, uh, translation to be 100% faithful to it. Um, the, but those who are careful with the artistic and poetic style of their work do deserve a more faithful translation. Um, that is why I'm saying that literature is pure art, right? Now, what happens if a translator finds mistakes in the original, maybe in the vocabulary, that there's, um, you have a, a poor vocabulary or a repetitive vocabulary or maybe uh, the author made a mistake with the names of the characters well this decision is kind of personal but um, in most of the cases uh, the decision is from the publishing house right so if if the publishing house want the translation to be edited or corrected then the translator has to correct it right but there are some cases in which the original has an intrinsic quality. Uh, so in that cases, the translator has to respect the effect and the peculiarities of the language, like the language level. Sometimes there are some books and some authors that write in a certain language level, um, and maybe that can be seen in the whole book with all of the characters or maybe this can be seen in just one character let's talk about the the example the most common example that we can find which is huckleberry finn from mark twain in this book um the author um tries to transmit and to communicate something with the language level of the of the main character which is low i haven't read uh, the book yet but i know that um it had many many different uh translations that were not uh that in their attempt to be loyal or faithful they ended up betraying the book completely because they uh, wanted to correct those um those peculiarities that the that the book has and these peculiarities have to be uh kept to in order to 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 transmit and to communicate something uh, to the reader, right? So we have to keep, um, in some cases, this language level that is sometimes that can be seen as a mistake, but it's actually not a mistake, right? Now let's talk about the next thing. Um, in case it, uh, a case in which a translator could be unfaithful without noticing it is, for example, when we translate some authors that have a, a distinctive way of, 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 of writing and we don't really know um, the style of the, of the author, right? So, for example, if we have in a book a crime scene in which there's a character that is staring at, let's say, the crime scene or, or maybe a body that's there, um, and we have to we have we have the the verb stare, which is to to look at something in a in a, in a way, let's say in a disgusted way or maybe in a fearful way, um, then we can um, translate that into stare 
in a fearful way or they're um, frightened at the body, for example. But if we don't know if um, the, 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 the author uh, tends to not enter into the character's feelings, then, we'll be a bit, then it will be a betrayal to the author to um just to say stare in uh to, to look frightened at that then in that case we have to um adapt the 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 phrase or the sentence in order to uh, not enter into the the feelings of the of the character right so um it would be a better translation if i say to stare or to, to look with their eyes wide open, right? Because we're not entering in the feelings of the character. Um, a great example of this is Hemingway. Hemingway is a person who is an author who um, does not enter to the into the character's feelings. So if we uh, translate something um, from this author and we say that the character was staring frightened, frightened, then it would be a betrayal, right? Because we have to say that um, the, the, the character was looking with their eyes wide open, which can imply a certain emotion, but we're not going to enter into that emotion, right? So uh, up to now, we have um, talked about how the translator has has to be faithful with um with uh, with the author with the text um but the the translator uh must be faithful with the reader too okay and this is called localization and now i'm going to start to try to explain to you this okay now uh sometimes books or texts or uh, novels contain specific jargons and we have to know exactly the target readers in order to find an equivalent jargon uh, that matches the readers in a certain in, sorry in a certain geographic location or age right because there are jargons in in Spain in Chile in Argentina and they're different um, and we have many other countries that speak in Spanish, right? And we have different jargons that are only spoken in that place, in that location. That is why it's called localization. When we translate, we have to do this practice, which is called localization, which is be faithful to the reader too, but always maintaining the style. So if I have a jargon that is used in a certain part of England, let's say, or, a, or Great Britain, or maybe the United States, and I have to tr translate it to a specific uh, geographic um, location or a specific age that uses uh, jargon that is similar, then I have to bear in mind um, the culture of that place to know the jargon, of course, and to be able to transmit it in a, in a correct way. And there's something very curious about this, and it is that in Latin America, the market calls for a more neutral translation, so as not to have trouble in different countries, since we have a lot of countries that speak in English in Latin America, sorry, that speak in Spanish in Latin America. Um, however, in Spanish, they, sorry, 
In Spain, they have a noticeable bias towards their own jargon and words that only Spanish people use. And they don't care too much about other Spanish-speaking countries. I'm sorry, Spain, but you are like that. I'm sorry. Uh, we are more, let's say, um, we're more open in that, in that sense, right? Now, uh, there's a common, let's say, a conflict uh, sometimes with the names um, in, the, in, in a novel or in a book or in a play or, any, or, or something like that. Um, it is known and well accepted that names are hardly ever translated. Names, um, in many cases, in most of the cases, the names um, are not translated because they l sometimes lose the essence of the book. They they are a, an important part of the of the book, right? Um, however, if the names have a symbolic meaning, which can happen uh, in some in some cases, if the names have a symbolic meaning uh, that is crucial for the book and its analysis, then this symbolism should be translated too. Yes, and that is a very very hard task because. Just imagine uh, if you have to translate some names into other names to give the same symbolism that the original has. It's like very hard. Um, but sometimes you have to if you're a translator. But um, there's a thing here, uh, luckily for, for translators, that is that um, as sometimes as names are an important part to keep as in the original, translators decide to make a footnote and not change the name. I think that this is the best option we can we can um uh take. Okay. Now um another thing. There's also a conflict between translators and the market. Uh, generally, we trans. I'm 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 only um talking about translate translators uh, of Spanish, okay, uh, here. So um, but I think that in other in 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 other languages this happens in in their own way, right? But this is a conflict that can affect every language too. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll know if I speak another language in the future, right? But there's a conflict between the translators and the market, um, too. Generally, we translate to our mother tongue because it's the one we dominate better. However, with our learning of our mother tongue, we also learn to communicate in a certain dialect that very often excludes other groups. The conflict comes when the publishers want a neutral translation. And as I said before, the neutral translation is very um, often asked for, right? So the neutral language is an unspoken one, as we all know. The neutral language is not um, uh, spoken in any country, right? So this can create a bit controversy among translators and, of course, readers. So this is the question I would like you to... to, to um, to you to answer okay if you want to answer via instagram or i have no idea um 
how can you answer this but i hope that you can answer this it would make me very very happy um the question is uh what do you think about it do we have to translate it in a neutral way or do we have to translate it with a bit of um of dialect um i would like to know the answer and i'm almost sure that i'm going to make another episode about about this about literary translation because there are, there is a lot to talk about it so this probably will have a um a part two i'm not going to 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 make the podcast the episodes very long so as you do not get bored But yes, that's all for today. I hope um, that you can answer my question and I hope you guys liked the, the podcast. See you guys.